There, how's that? Hear me now? All right. Okay. Um, today, we are going to be looking at um, dealing with giants or facing giants. And there is only one famous giant in the Bible, and that is one of which we will be looking at today. Um, but a little uh, background history before we get to uh, where we're at, which is going to be 1 Samuel uh, 17, um, when God took uh, Israel out of Egypt, led them to the promised land, when they got there, uh, before they went in, he sent, uh, he had Moses send in 12 spies to check it out and uh, prove to the nation of Israel that it was going to be everything that he promised that it would be. So they did. They went in. There was uh, well-fortified cities, um, different tribes or whatever you want to call them there. Um, and there were uh, some giants there, the sons of Anak. So they knew that. They came back and they uh, reported to Moses. Um, and as we know, uh, a ton of the spies says, no, we can't do this. This is it's too much. They're, they're too well fortified. The giants are there. We can't overtake them. But Joshua and Caleb said, yes, we can. The Lord is with us. We can conquer them. So the ten spies um, overruled the, the two. And as we know, that generation had to die in the wilderness because they did not trust God to take them into the promised land. So when... Um, that generation died. Joshua and Caleb led Israel into the promised land, and they already knew giants were there. And they uh, went in there, and through uh, many battles, uh, some of which God miraculously um, took care of Israel, they defeated different different uh, groups and cities and, and whatnot, and... Um, didn't necessarily conquer everybody, but they, they pushed them back and, and they got pretty good control of the promised land. Through that process, uh, they pushed the Philistines back. They were a prominent figure then. And um, the, the giants, they, they didn't uh, destroy them, but they did push them back and they ended up settling into some of the cities that uh, were occupied by the Philistines. So um, the giants were there. They knew it. So getting into where we are today, um, David has uh, been introduced to Saul as a harp player. Uh, previously, Saul had an evil spirit come on him, and uh, his advisor said, let's get somebody that will... Um, really good in, in playing a harp, and that will calm you down. You think of a harp as something that is soothing and um, calming. And for Saul, this worked. I mean, you never heard of a rock harp. You've always thought of it as something uh, soothing and, and calm. So uh, David is introduced to Saul this way. A friend of a friend of a friend knew somebody that uh, had a son that played harp, and uh, turns out David was um, this son who was... Uh, in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel says, He is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, 
prudent in speech and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. So Saul is introduced to uh, David, or David is introduced to Saul, uh, spends a little bit of time in Saul's present play, presence playing for him. So um, now we get to, to chapter 17. By now, uh, the Philistines uh, and Israel were lined up on opposite sides of a valley, the Valley of Elah, um, and they were getting ready to go to war. Uh, at this time in history, uh, the Philistines and the Amorites were the, the powers of the day. Um, the, uh, the Philistines were probably the greater power, the biggest enemy of Israel. The Amorites were probably second. And um, ironically, the Amorites were uh, descendants of Lot, which was Abraham's brother. Um, but anyway, um, they, they were enemies. They had met up before, and there was history uh, between them. So in the first uh, three verses, the Philistines uh, stood on the mountain on one side, and uh, Israel was on the valley or on the mountain on the other side of the valley, and um, getting ready to, to fight. And starting in verse 4, it says, A champion came out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had a bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield-bearer went before him. This is a really big guy. Um, If we want to put this into perspective, um, when I was in high school, I was a little trimmer than I am today, but uh, I weighed, uh, I wrestled, a 126-pound weight class. His body armor weighed about a pound less than what I wrestled in high school. So if you put that, you add in his helmet, his spear. Um, He probably had another um, sword. And I'm not exactly sure how they fought back then, but if he had his own shield or if somebody had the shield before him. But if you put all the weight of that together, he was essentially carrying me around on his back and fighting. So he was, he was a, a good-sized man, um, approximately 9 feet 9 inches tall, looking uh, huge, very intimidating. And um, he came out in verse 8, and he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And then when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, or Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. To look at this man, uh, he was huge. He had all the weapons of war. 
Um, the Philistines also controlled the iron um, things in that area. So uh, that was a, a very markedly uh, military advantage uh, for them because they had, we'll say, a little better equipment to work with, um, better spears and, and swords and things of that nature. Um, so they were, at least in human terms, a better equipped army than what Israel was at that time. But because of their past history, Goliath was really, um, even though he was big, we may think he was big and dumb, which I guess he was for uh, defying God, but it was smart because due to their past history, the Philistines knew what Israel's God could do for Israel. They had already been pushed around by Joshua when they moved in. And if you go back a few chapters in 1 Samuel, through one of the battles, they had got the Ark of the Covenant. And they put it in front of their god, Dagon. If you remember what happened there, uh, the first night they, they put it in front of Dagon. They come back to worship Dagon the next morning because he was such a great god and they conquered Israel. Dagon was flat on his face before the Ark. He was bowing down to God and didn't know it. So he's like, well, what happened here? So stood him back up, put him back up there, went away that day, come back the next day. Dagon's flat on his face on the ground except for his head and arms are broken off. Now he's broken bowing down before God. So then um, God put um, plagues, I'll say, on them. They shipped the Ark of the Covenant off because, like, this has got to be the problem. They shipped it to another town of the Philistines. That, that city says, what are you shipping it here for? God's going to destroy us through it. And they, they gave them hemorrhoids, just made them really physically uncomfortable. Um, so finally, they decided that it was time to get rid of this Ark of the Covenant and uh, ship it out of here. So they, they took a cow... Now, cows aren't noted for going where you want them to. It was a cow with a calf. So a cow with a calf is, um, generally speaking, they're good mommies. They want to stay with their calf. They took the calf, tied it in a barn, tied the, or put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart, tied it to the cow, and sent it out. Well, the cow wandered into, um, down to Israel, and they, the Israelites got it. So... Um, there is history there. The Philistines knew what God could do uh, for Israel. But now they got this big champion of a guy. He's huge. He's a warrior. And uh, he realizes that if the whole army of Israel fights against the whole army of uh, Philistia, they probably would beat him because God would be on their side. But because of his size and training, he was a, he was a man of war, um, he says, if I take them on one by one, I can prevail. He had an ego, and he didn't think God would take care of, of just one, one person. And, the, and the, uh, the challenge was, if I win, you serve us. If you win, we will serve you. Okay? So... Um, based on physical size, um, 
the, the ability the Philistine army had, the army of Israel was afraid of them, very afraid. Um, as verse 11 says, when Solomon, all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They saw the physical part of it, and they thought, there's no way anybody in this army can take on, on this guy and win. They were, they were just terrified of him. So now going into chapter, uh, verse 12. So David uh, was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons. Uh, the man was old, advanced in years, in the days of Saul. The three oldest uh, sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. They were in Saul's army. And the names of these three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, uh, Abinadab, the second, and Shammah, the third. And David was the youngest of Jesse's sons. The three oldest followed Saul, but David occasionally went and returned from Saul to tend uh, his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So, again, previously, Samuel was the prophet of the time. He came to Jesse, chose David as the new anointed king of Israel because Saul had disobeyed, and the kingdom was going to leave Saul. Eliab probably thought, as tradition goes, it should be him because he was the oldest, um, but David was uh, chosen. So David um, had basically three jobs at this, this time and period. He had to tend to his father's sheep. He had to play harp for Saul on occasion. And he had to run a food service back and forth to the army to feed his brothers and take some food for the, uh, the captain. Um, so one of his trips there... Um, the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and night. So Goliath has been offering this challenge for 40 days. Apparently the 41st day, um, David shows up there and gets there in time to hear him. Um, what's going to happen here? Um, in verse 17, Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp. And carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Uh, so now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David is bringing the food up uh, to his brothers and the, and the captain of his, their group, and um, the battle is already um, getting in shape to start. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took him, or whoops, and took things, and went as Jesse had commanded him. He came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army, and David left his supplies in the hand of the keeper, uh, ran to the army, and came and greeted uh, his brothers. And uh, then as he talked with them, out comes uh, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to these words, the same words that he mentioned previously, uh, send out one guy, fight with me, winner, winner take all. Um, and David heard them. In verse 24, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid, same as the other 40 days. 
So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes. David says, What did you say in verse 24? He spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So the people answered him in the same manner, what will be done for him, you know, the riches, the daughter, and an exemption from taxes. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard it, and uh, when he spoke to some other men there, and Eliab got angry with David. He says, why did you come down here? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. So Eliab is um, possibly angry because David was chosen uh, for the king kingship in the future, it's possible that, um, what are you doing here? What are you standing here watching this for? This isn't kids' games. This is, this is serious uh, stuff. I, I don't know the answer to that for sure, but anyway. So, anyway, um, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. For your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul says to David, You're not able to go fight this Philistine. You're a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. Um, I kind of relate this to um, somewhere along the way I saw a a show. uh, The Palestinians take their kids, and from a very young age, they train them to hate Israel, They train them, uh, they carry, probably start with a toy gun, go through military actions. So the time they're a teenager, they are trained as a military person. And I kind of think this is what happened with Goliath. He has um, been a man of war from his youth. I mean, he's got the size, he's got the strength, um, he's good with the tools of the trade, um, he knows what he's doing, and you're just a you're just a sheep herder's kid. What do you what do you think you're doing? But in verse thirty-four, David said to Saul, "Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it." Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Through the course of David's tending his father's sheep, there had been different... uh, Animals that came to uh, get supper, um, come to get a sheep out of the flock and take it or kill it and uh, have it as part of his duty of tending his father's 
sheep was to protect them and um, keep them uh, safe and um, do whatever was necessary to do that. Um, it says, when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it. I'm kind of getting the feeling this might have happened more than one time. Um, but what it amounted to is uh, it, it was a stepping stone for David to face Goliath. Now, I don't have too much experience with a mountain lion, but I do have some experience with bears. Um, when uh, Mark Chapman was stationed in Alaska, I went up there with him. Um, we, had, we had some fishing trips up there. Uh, one, one, I think it was the first trip up there, we had taken a fishing charter out of the Kenai Peninsula, and on our way back, we were just tired. We stopped at a place, and by chance, uh, there was a person there, and he come down and uh, said, oh, we just want to camp here for the night. We've been fishing. We're tired. You know, we just want a place to sleep. He says, oh, here's a good spot. It was a nice sandy spot. There used to be a building here. It's nice and sandy. A good spot for your tent. The only problem is... It's on the, one of the main paths the bears use to walk through this area. It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, um, so we talking with him, setting up our tent, getting ready to make supper and whatnot. Turn around and look down the road. Here comes this big old bear. <laughs> so um, through the course of that, you know, the first night you're laying there thinking, Every noise you heard, Mark, you got the gun, it's a bear. I know it's a bear, it's got to be a bear. So nothing happened. A little later, another noise, like, Mark, you got the gun, it's a bear. Second night, not quite so bad. Third night, if it's not crawling in my sleeping bag, I don't care, I'm too tired. So, um, but through that, and um, there were bears in the area. We, we were probably within 20 yards of bears on a fairly regular basis. Um, but I see what a bear is and can do. These were black bears. These weren't grizzly bears. Um, and when you go into the Anchorage airport, they got, well, they did have, I don't know if they do today, but um, they had a polar bear in a, in a glass cage there, probably around seven feet tall. Um, their claws are probably as least as big around as my fingers and longer. Um, you see them ripping stumps apart to get at a ground squirrel or something. Well, I see why they can do that. Um, so for me personally, I really don't want to go out and get in a wrestling match with one of them for no good reason. Um, but David did. As part of his job, he, uh, he did. He took, a, took the bear on. He killed it. Uh, a mountain lion, I'm not going to go grab a mountain lion by the tail and just see if God's going to protect me or not. Um, but um, David was able to do that. And through that, his faith was built up in God taking care of him and doing things um, and protecting him. So when, when Goliath comes out, makes this, this comment against um, the armies of Israel, David's used to it. So, hey, I've killed a bear. I've killed a lion. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say if he killed it with his bare hands or not. But um, still, to be standing there face to face with one, um, they don't make a spear long enough for me to, to, to fight one. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. Um, but yet he, d he did, and he, he won, and he realized it was God that gave him the victory over these animals. 
So um, he said, God's going to deliver this Philistine into, into the hand, into my hand, just like he did the bear and the lion. And he had complete confidence in what God would do for him. So Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. This is the first recognition from Saul that God is with David and has David uh, anointed and will, will take uh, David uh, to the kingdom. So Saul clothed David with his armor. He put on a bronze helmet on his head. He clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Now David wasn't used to wearing armor. He was uh, not comfortable with it. And um, if you remember why Saul was chosen king of Israel, was in my opinion, some of the craziest things you would want for, for a reason. He was head and shoulders taller than everybody else, and he was good-looking. Two of the best qualities you want in your king. Um, so I'm thinking the, the armor probably didn't fit David anyway, and he wasn't used to it. Um, so he's like, this is just clumsy. I'm going to kill myself before I get there. So he took it off and uh, told Saul, I can't. I can't fight with these things. I'm not used to them. I'm, I'm, I've not tested them. I'm, I'm not familiar with, with using these things. So in verse 40, he took his staff in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch, and uh, which he had, and a sling in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Uh, so the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore his shield went before him, and the Philistine looked about and saw David, and he disdained him. It's like, what are you sending this little kid out here for? For he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. Uh, apparently good-looking people can't fight. I, I'm not quite sure what the deal is with this. but um, So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you should come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Goliath unknowingly um, said to David, Am I a dog? Am I a threat uh, to you? Just as a threat to the sheep needs to either be chased away or eliminated. Um, David's ask, or Goliath is asking David that. Am I, you know, am, am I a dog that you're coming to me to drive me away with, with, with a stick and a, and a sling? So Goliath and his uh, size, military background, um, Come over here. I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Goliath had no doubt in his mind that this was going to be the easiest fight of his life. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. 
This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Those were the last words Goliath heard, that um, the Lord uh, does not save with sword or spear. The battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. David went with the full expectation of God being with him, um, even though you know physically, humanly possible, uh, beating Goliath was, was not going to happen. But God could do it. And um, he, he went with that faith in God. Verse 48, so it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried. He ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone. He slung it. He struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, struck the Philistine, and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran, stood over the Philistine, took his sword, and drew it out of its sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head. The, um, David used the tools that he was used to using um, as a shepherd boy. Um, he had probably practiced a lot. The slings they use aren't the little V thing with a handle that we might use today. It was a, uh, probably a piece of leather with a pouch on it. You spun it around your head and you threw it. Um, I remember as a kid trying this out. No, it was not good. <laughs> there is an act to it. <laughs> um, but I don't remember where, but I know in the Bible it says those that were good with these could hit at a hair's breadth. So they were really accurate with it. And I don't know if David was that good, but he was at least good enough to hit uh, Goliath in the forehead. And he hit, it, hit him in the head so hard that um, the stone sank into his forehead. It crashed in, or cracked his skull and went into it. Fell on the earth, and David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. <clears throat> struck the Philistine and killed him. So Goliath was uh, dead then. But there was no sword in the hand of David. And to fulfill his promise to Goliath that he would cut his head off, uh, David went, took Goliath's sword out of its sheath or his hand, wherever it was, and stood upon Goliath and uh, cut his head off with his own sword. Um, so, um, God honored David. Um, he did exactly what God wanted him to do. Um, David realized that this uncircumcised Philistine was no, no better than the bear or the lion, and he could be conquered. And it wasn't going to be David that was going to kill him. He was just going to be the person God used to uh, kill Goliath. Um, and it was all, all the Lord's battle. 
When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of uh, Israel and Judah arose, pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to uh, Shemarium, even as far as Gath and Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. David took the head of the Philistine, brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his armor in his tent. Um, All of a sudden, now that Goliath was gone, Israel found new courage. They found faith in God. And they pursued the Philistines and um, um, chased them uh, way back, way back. Um, so um, at the end of that, they, as tradition, uh, the winner gets the spoils of war. They plundered their tents. And as a trophy, <clears throat> David had Goliath's head and his sword and his armor that he took from Goliath. Uh, then to finish the chapter, uh, Saul was wondering, uh, just uh, ask Abner, the commander of his army, who is this kid? Um, even though he may have recognized him, he didn't know who he was. But since he had promised to um, provide his daughter in marriage and was going to become a part of Saul's family, he wanted to know who he was. And um, ultimately Saul ended up... Uh, fulfilling his promise, but the the uh, whole thing here is David, through faith in God, was not afraid of Goliath, no matter how how big of a, a obstacle we'll say he was. <clears throat> now David picked up five stones uh, for a reason because Goliath had four brothers that were in that army also. And um, he didn't know if they were going to run or they were going to come to his, uh, their brother's uh, aid. <clears throat> so if we go over to first, or Second Samuel, uh, chapter 21, uh, there's kind of a short passage here of what happened to Goliath's four brothers. Uh, When the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David and his servants uh, with him went down, fought against the Philistines. David grew faint. Then Ishbibinab, who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, uh, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David said, uh, you shall no more go out with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. <clears throat> I'm just going to read through all of these. Uh, now it happened afterward, there was a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Sibachai, the Hush, Hushethite, killed Saph, who was one of the sons of the giant. And then there was, a, again, there was a war at Gob with the Philistines, where Hanan, the son of Jer-Oregon, the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And yet there was war at Gath, and there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot, 24 in number. He also was born to the giant. So when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimea, David's brother, killed him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and the hand of his servants. We have 
the history of the giants here that David killed, um, literal giants, David killed, um, or his army killed, because God was with them, gave them the courage to do that. Would, um, after they saw Goliath killed, these other uh, four men that, that killed another giant probably had the courage that God could be with them also. <clears throat> so, what giants do we face today? Um, I've got some that, that I have thought of. Um, the first one was health giants. Um, we have had uh, some health problems that uh, have happened here. Um, we have had some of the ladies that have had breast cancer. I'm sure that was a giant in their life. Uh, we've had some with heart surgery. That had to be a Goliath-sized giant with uh, steroid use. Um, those things are very uh, fearful because you know, the, the chances of dying are, are there. Uh, recently, we've had uh, the COVID virus. Uh, some people are very, very afraid of that. <clears throat> As we hear on TV, um, shootings at different places, whether it's a church or school, um, I have heard homeschooling is picking up a lot, a lot, because people are afraid to send their kids to school for fear that they might not come back home. Um, that's another um, fear we can have. Um, and, you know, even the churches that have been had people uh, come in and, sh and shoot members of the congregation, they probably never thought that was going to happen, but... Um, it does. Something to be fearful of. Um, could be something in, in a marriage. Um, there's giants. Um, any two people that get together somewhere along the way are going to have a difference of opinion. Um, and uh, that, that can get to the point where uh, between a husband and a wife, that could uh, end up in divorce. Um, I know at one time, I don't know what the statistics are today, uh, the secular world, the, marriage, or the divorce rate was around 50%. Um, and surprisingly, the Christian divorce rate was not, it was embarrassingly close to that. Um, but um, it, it, it's, it's out there. <clears throat> the uh, sexual promiscuity in the, in the 60s, we had a huge uh, rebellion um, for you know, traditional values and we are uh, reaping the consequences of that today. Um, the, the people of the 60s um, had their kids. They didn't uh, raise people um, with uh, godly values, and, and we see that today. Just, just look at our world. Um, going back to the marriage thing, the, the percentage might be lower today because more people are living together than getting married. So um, the divorce rate may not be uh, as high, but it's for a totally different reason. And then we have the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, drugs and drinking uh, that is uh, prevalent in our society. And just to uh, fuel that along a little more, we have made cannabis legal. So it's like, yes, what were we thinking? <clears throat> As for uh, the kids in school, um, you've got your own things that are... Um, you can, you can uh, have giants there also. 
Um, bullying is, is uh, one thing. Um, when I was in school, well, maybe six, sixth grade or so, we had, uh, he was kind of a little kid, but he was a little scrapper. And he was doing something to me, and I told him, if you don't leave me alone, I'm going to pick you up and throw you in the garbage can. Well, he didn't, and I did. <laughs> I pretty well got my shins kicked in, but, but I did it. <laughs> and from then on, he was, I, I didn't have any trouble in high school. <laughs> um, I don't know if I would recommend that, but it worked for me. Um, for, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, pressure for, for sex. Um, even when I was in high school, which would have been, high school would have been the early 70s, um, two girls in our school got pregnant while they were in school. One happened to be a deacon's daughter at this church. There's a giant for you. Um, <clears throat> the uh, standing up for God. Um, an English class we had a time where we were looking at songs, music, and going through the words, seeing what they were doing. And it was a girl that came to church here. Um, she, her song she chose was How Great Thou Art. Now, in our class, we had a couple kids that were really quite immature. Um, they, they, um, they were the bullying type. Um, backing up the bullying, there was another kid in our class, Kurt by name, that um, Kurt was a good kid, but he was a little different. And one thing Kurt did was he, he had a big, huge armful of books that he took. Uh, so he had all his books for the whole day carrying. Well, these two kids, one or the other of them, would come up and whomp him out from under his arm. <laughs> and... Um, then they'd kick him down the hall so he'd be late for class. They thought that was great fun. <clears throat> the same two kids, um, when uh, Becky's song was How Great Thou Art, we got to that song in English class. Uh, they mouthed off to, about it and to the point where Becky got up and left the room crying. So there's a lot of things that can happen um, even, even as uh, kids uh, for you. Um, and I'm sure I lived in a different world in school than what you do today. There's, there's things that you face that I probably didn't for years afterwards. And, and, and there's giants out there that we, that we have to, um, that we're going to face at some point in time. Um, <clears throat> this group of, of uh, giants that we just went through um, collectively, um, we, can, we can put that into the spiritual world of what Satan wants to do to us. He wants to harass us. He wants to discourage us. He wants to strip us of our faith and destroy us. Um, and through all of that, he wants us to become a non-useful Christian. Um, just not, not do anything for God, sit back, take it easy, um, and do something like that. Um, but God uh, is there for us. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, the first giant that was mentioned here in 
2 Samuel 21. Uh, the Philistines were at war with David, his servants. Uh, David grew faint. He grew very tired. Um, and Ishbibinab, who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was uh, 300 shekels, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeriah, came to his aid, struck the Philistine, and killed him. God was faithful to David there. I do not have a military background, but I did wrestle. And I don't know what year it was in school, but I wrestled a kid from Letchworth, and I, I ended up wrestling him two weeks in a, in a row. It was like the last week of school, and then there was a tournament. I think it was like a Christmas vacation tournament. Uh, I beat him by one point at the regular wrestling match. I'm sure he came out thinking, um, I can beat this guy. I know I can beat him. Um, so when we met in the finals of the tournament, um, when I wrestled, it uh, was three two-minute periods. And then if there was a tie for the tournament, you had to wrestle. You got a minute or two break. Then you had to wrestle three one-minute periods or until somebody got pinned uh, through that. Anyway. So we, we ended up tying at the end of six minutes, and <clears throat> we got our minute or so break, got back, wrestled three one-minute periods. That was only nine minutes of all-out aggression, and I was physically exhausted. I don't know what it would be like for David to be fighting for a long period, how exhausted you would be for that. I was in decent shape then, probably not military shape, but... Um, I know what it's like to be uh, exhausted. So then God, being faithful to David, sent along Abishai. He intervened for him, and Abishai came and killed this giant. Think back in your lives. i got a couple examples where God has intervened for me that uh, I, can, I can pretty safely say that... Um, None of them were life-threatening, extremely inconvenient. Um, but um, back when I was in college, I was more adventurous than I am now. Uh, one of the kids, we went, uh, we used to hunt down there. I went to Alfred State College. There was tons of state land down there. We hunted a lot. Um, one day, his father was coming down. We went over to Belfast, uh, left at like 4, 4.30 in the morning to get there early and so we come in in the dark, no idea how we got there, um, and we got into this basically farmer's laneway where we parked, and, and we met his dad there, and when the sun come up and it was legal hunting, we went off hunting. So through the course of the hunting, we, uh, it's like, okay, we're going to go this way, um, we're going to stay, you know, 100 yards or so apart, so we can kind of keep an eye on each other, and, and we're going to hunt around, okay. So we did that. Well, eventually, lost sight of them. And I don't know if I veered off or if they veered off or they saw a deer and went that way, whatever. Um, I don't know for sure what happened. But anyway, at the end of it, I ended up lost. Uh, it's like, oh. So it's like, oh, man. Didn't really recognize anything coming back through. Found an open spot, climbed up a tree. I put my gun down, took shells out, climbed up a tree, see if I could see anything. Off in the distance, I could see a road, which was probably Route 17 at the time. Um, 
It's like, eh, okay, if worse comes to worse, I guess I can try to find my way out there, but I don't know where to go after I get there. So I, uh, the universal distress thing is uh, shoot, wait, it's either three or five seconds, I don't remember now, shoot again, and do that two more times for a total of three shots. So I did that. Then I sat and waited, or stayed in one plot, place and, and waited. Nobody came, nobody came, nobody came. <clears throat> so all of a sudden I hear, hear people coming. It's like, oh, cool. They're, they're my guys I'm hunting with are finally coming, coming to get me. Nah, turns out there's another hunting party there of three. One of their guys got lost too. So they, uh, they said, hey, you know, we're looking for our, for our hunting partner. Have you seen him? No, I haven't seen him, but I'm kind of lost myself. Can you give me directions, get out of here? And I said, he got out his compass, looked, and says, oh, yeah, just kind of go down this, this draw here, and you'll get to the laneway, and you can you know, find your car from there. I believe God sent them to me because the guys I was hunting with, when they finally did come out of the woods, it's like, didn't you hear me shoot? Oh, yeah. We thought we heard somebody shoot. Did you get one? <laughs> no. <laughs> so I don't know when they would have ever found me, but probably wouldn't have been too quick. Another one happened just a few weeks ago. I had went to the um, drugstore in Oakfield and um, got, got some stuff. The package I had pretty much filled up the saddlebag on my motorcycle, and I can't say I never do this because apparently I did. I always put my wallet in the saddlebag of the motorcycle so I don't lose it out of my pocket. Well, since the package was big, I, I don't know what I did, but I'm guessing I left it in my pocket. So get home that night, no wallet. Like, great, where did I lose that? So call Julie, or my boss's wife, hey, can you go out and see if I left my motorcycle? I park my motorcycle, see if my wallet fell out there. Um, I took the truck. I had to get a tire fixed, see if I left it in there. Calls me up a little later. No, I can't find it anywhere. Oh, marvelous. So I'm like, well, okay, maybe it's in the shop because I had to go out to the shop to get the tire to take. It's like, eh, I don't know. So come back next day, I come to work. I start at the parking lot, and I'm driving the route I take back to work. Didn't find my wallet. So and I looked around the shop, and I looked around everywhere I could think of. I'd been that day, no wallet. Sam asked me, he says, well, did you cancel your credit cards yet? I said, no, I was kind of hoping I was going to find it. I said, well, I was delivering corn to the ethanol plant at the time. I said, I'll take this load of corn down, then I'll go home, because I've got to look up the phone numbers to call the credit card company to, you know, to, to cancel my credit cards, tell them I lost it. So while driving down on the last load for the day, I get a phone call. Sheriff. Oh, boy. I know what they got. <laughs> so, hello, is this Bryce Johnson? Well, yes, it is. <laughs> uh, did you lose a wallet? Yes, I did. I described it to him, what it had in it. I don't know who found it. I don't know, I don't know if they called the sheriff, and the sheriff came out and picked it up because, well, I thought the girl told me and what the, the release paper said wasn't quite the same, but I don't know. Anyway... Some kind soul had found my wallet, turned it in. Everything that was in my wallet when I lost it was still there. Now, the fears that were going through me were somebody got my wallet. Um, the credit cards, it's like, well, I've had to cancel them before. I've had credit card fraud. Um, it's a hassle, but it's not that bad. But I was really worried about, in today's world, identity theft. 
that was a big, a big fear of what could happen. Thank God for somebody finding it, turning it into the sheriffs, went up, picked it up. Um, but I believe God intervened by uh, having someone, a good, honest person, find my wallet and turning it in. <clears throat> and then, um, let me see how long I'm going here. Ooh, I guess I better wrap this up quick. <laughs> um, anyway, God will take care of us. God is uh, faithful. Um, just a few verses here since I'm rambling on more than I should be. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Therefore, know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. That was a promise Moses was giving to Israel uh, before he died, but it still applies today. The Lord your God is God. He is God. He is the faithful God. He keeps his covenant and his mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Um, <clears throat> in uh, Hebrews, oh, let's see, Hebrews 11.6. Um, but without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Um, we need to, um, as a child of God, believe that God will take care of us. Um, in uh, Matthew uh, six thirty-three and 34, um, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about the things of its own. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Um, God will take care of us daily, and um, he will uh, be looking out for us. We have to... Uh, do our part. In the case of David and Goliath, God didn't just defeat Goliath. David had to go put some uh, footwork into it. He had to go down and meet Goliath, and um, God took care of him. Um, and I'll skip some other other things because I am running late here. Uh, Ephesians six ten through twenty has to do with the armor of God, putting on the armor of God. Uh, most of the armor is for protection. Uh, the sword of the spirit is our offensive weapon um, that we can fight against Satan with. And uh, lastly, uh, Romans 8.31. Uh, what, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That kind of sums it all up the way David thought. If God is for me, Goliath He's nothing. He can't be against us. He's defying the living God of Israel. This man is nothing. So as we face giants, um, maybe you're facing some today. If not, we're probably going to be facing some somewhere along the way. Um, just remember, God is there for us. 
He wants to help us. We need to reach out for him, and we just need to have the faith that he will. Is it easy? No, it's not. Giants, giants can put fear into us. And um, that, um, but with David's example, um, let's, let's try to do better in, as we face the giants of our day. Okay, thank you. Uh, let's close in prayer. Amen, Lord. Uh, just thank you uh, for your word, uh, for the example of David and Goliath, the faith that David had in you to, um, to really win the battle for him. He was just the person you used to, to win this battle. Help us as we uh, run into giants in our life. Um, there's going to be uh, more coming, I'm sure, um, as time draws Closer, um, Satan knows he's a defeated foe and um, he's going to be trying harder and harder to, to throw giants into our path to, to make us not uh, want to follow you, uh, obey you, or um, wonder what it's all worth. Uh, help us to guard against that and uh, just uh, draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.